0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Hello, team. Hello, team. Book. And welcome to another chapter of The Dubious Book of Famous Deeds, the history podcast that looks through the world through the eyes of the Victorians, as told by a book from 1889 that I found in an alleyway, The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men and Famous Deeds. I'm your host, Paul Bates, not a scholar, not a historian. And today, our chapter is about a man who's not famous by any stretch of the imagination, and whose deeds are literally non-existent. A Sir Henry Holland is our subject today, a guy you've never heard of. And if you have, then I don't know, uh, I can only assume you're a direct relative because there's no other explanation. I feel like I'm not exactly you know, selling the subject of this episode very well, but you know, we're not here to talk about prestige names. We're not here for just the big names. We're here for the little names in history, the tiny names. We're here for the laughs, not the names. So enjoy. Anyway, by the end of this episode, you're gonna know everything there is to know about this gentleman who was Charming AF. And joining me for this one, is a great friend and extremely talented actor-comedian. You can hear her often on CBC Radio's Because News. Please welcome into your ears... Ashley Bodding. Okay, so as I said, Ashley, this is neither a famous man, uh, and he has done no famous deeds. It's already, uh you know, contradictory to the premise of this book.
1: Yeah, and yet he's he's top 20 chapters, this guy. Top
2: 20 chapters, yes. Who is he? Well, let me ask you, have you heard of a guy named Sir Henry Holland?
1: No, I have not, but he's clearly knighted, so he did something.
2: Here's something I just learned looking this up, is that you don't have to be a knight to have Sir. Henry Holland was a baronet. A baronet is a member of the lowest... Hereditary, titled British Order, with the status of a commoner, but also able to use the prefix sir. So it gives you nothing except the prefix sir so that you can put yourself aside from the commons, you know?
1: That's like when I worked on a cruise ship and I I was in steerage with the crew, but I was allowed to roam. I was allowed to wander the decks with the passengers, but I I was still crew.
2: Yes, you were... A baroness.
1: Yep. <laughs> I was a baroness of the seas. I can't wait. Okay. Henry Higgins. No, nope, that's not him. Nope. Henry, Henry Holland. Hollander.
2: Henry Holland. Double H. Let's do this. Chapter 16. Here we go. Sir Henry Holland. <laughs> it was no idle boast. For Sir Henry Holland to be able to say that, dating from the commencement of the century he had lived, an intelligent and omnipresent spectator through 72 of the most exciting and eventful years of the world's history. That he had seen the political and social aspect of most civilized nations in both hemispheres transformed three or four times over, including the fall of two empires, two monarchies, and three or four republics.
1: I'm going to stop you right there. Go on. Yes. Okay. All this guy has done so far is lived 72 years. (laughs) This is what I'm hearing. That's his accomplishment. (laughs) Stuff happened, and he was alive during the time. Why aren't I in this book?
2: Well, there's one glaring reason why you're, you wouldn't be in this book. Chicks. Border. Chicks.
1: Chicks can't be in the book. Correct. That's what I'm hearing. Correct. Um,
2: okay. <laughs> okay,
1: seven, 72 years old. Let's so he's
2: been watching empires, rise and fall, monarchies, three or four republics to say nothing of the provisional governments in France. What an opening sentence. Basically, they're saying he's lived through... 72 years of the most exciting years in the history of the world. Do you think there's anybody out there in history who at the end of their lives were like, honestly, this was kind of a letdown of an epoch. Like we really-
1: (laughs) It's like, listen, uh, Henry Holland got a bunch of republics, a lot of changeover, Mm -hmm. just uh, the same same autocrat for me the whole time. (laughs) Garbage, garbage life.
2: According to Wikipedia, in the lifetime of Henry Holland, 31 empires and republics fell between 1788 and 1873. Well, this book is probably referring to the ones in Europe, like the Holy Roman Empire, the French Empire, the Kingdom of Prussia, the republics of Genoa and Venice. So shit did happen in his lifetime.
1: Busy time.
2: I mean, I feel like anybody who lives presumes that they are living in the most exciting time. And maybe they are, because maybe life becomes more and more eventful uh, with every passing generation.
1: But all I'm hearing, again, so far, is that he didn't die during this time. That's all he accomplished was breathing during this time. Like, Bates, there are other people who also didn't die in this time. Are they Chapter 16? They are not. Why him?
2: Ashley, we are just getting started. And honestly, though, you'll still be asking that question by the end of this chapter. (laughs) Okay. All right, here we go. Next sentence. He had crossed the Atlantic 16 or 17 times.
1: Okay, now we're doing things.
2: He's a traveler. He's a noted traveler. He went places and he wrote about them. Okay. He crossed the Atlantic 16 or 17 times, traveled over more than 26,000 miles of the American continent, made four expeditions to the East, three tours in Russia, two in Iceland, several in Sweden, Norway, Spain, Portugal, Italy, and Greece, innumerable voyages to the Canary Isles, the West Indies, Madeira, etc., and, to use his own words, other excursions which it would be useless to enumerate. <laughs>
1: What's he running from? What's he running from?
2: <laughs> he had the wanderlust.
1: Madeira, et cetera?
2: Yeah, they ran out of... What else was etc. I think by the end, what they're saying, I think they've gotten to vacation destinations by the end there. I mean, Canary Isles, <laughs> West Indies, Madeira, like he's just taking vacations at that point, right?
1: Yeah, he's going to the Club Meds. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's This is a land of no planes. So it's he like spent, he must have spent the vast majority of his adult life like on, by ship, by sea, by land. Like he must have been traveling many places. And then once he gets there, there's no time. He's got to turn around and go back because he's got to, got to get back to Norway.
2: Well, it does sound like an extraordinary amount of time traveling. And when you put it that way, like, yeah, he's on a boat or a, a train or before trains on a carriage being pulled by horses.
1: And do we know for sure that this guy doesn't lie a little bit, right? Do we know that he's not going down the hub and being like, yeah, I've been to Norway five times, been to Madeira, et sets like 16 times. Like, is anyone fact-checking Henry?
2: It could have been that Henry himself wasn't lying, but the people who are writing about him are, because they are no strangers to hyperbole. Incidentally, pretty <laughs> sure this is an obituary ripped from the Times of London that we're reading. <laughs> Why do you think that? Because it's not the first obituary plagiarized from the Times of London <laughs> in this book.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: What I love is that they say he traveled 26,000 miles across America alone. Uh, the United States from coast to coast is 2,800 miles across
1: That's 13 trips back and forth.
2: North and South America extends 8,700 miles from end to end. The circumference of the earth is just under 25,000 miles. So they're saying he traveled more than the circumference of the earth just in the United States.
1: They also said Jesus walked on water. I mean, again, I just, I'm not entirely sure that this happened.
2: (laughs) All right, let's keep going. He had associated in every capital in Europe with all that is or was most eminent for rank, birth, genius, wit, learning, and accomplishment.
1: Oh, God.
2: He could call every leading statesman of the United States and every president for the last half century his friend. In his professional capacity, besides a long list of royal and princely patients, he had the honor and deep responsibility of prescribing for six prime ministers of England, besides chancellors of the exchequer, secretaries of state, presidents of the council, chief justices, and lord chancellors. He was a doctor.
1: Okay, I think the writer of this-o-bit got paid by the word. Like um, the, the famous uh, writer, he wrote Oliver Twist. He got paid by the word. What's his name? Oh, Dickens? Thank you, Dickens got paid by the word.
2: Dickens got paid by the word? I think so. Never pay an author by the words.
1: And this is where we have this obit. Yeah. Now, a lo- I mean, a lot of questions are coming up for me at this point. So, great, he's a doctor, over-prescribing the prime minister, as we're glad to hear it. Yep. Where did he get the time to meet all these people and create these long-lasting friendships when he's going to Madeira, etc., all the time?
2: It sounds almost superhuman. It does. It sounds like there's two of him. One is the busiest doctor in the world. The other is a man of leisure sailing around and just, uh, you know, seeing the sights. We say deep responsibility because it is difficult to overestimate the influence of health on statesmanship, on the administration of justice, or on the general conduct of affairs. There were three occasions, Borodino, the third day of Dresden and Waterloo, on which the eagle eye of Napoleon was perceptibly dimmed by indigestion or physical suffering. And when Lord Tenterden's stomach was out of order, as it generally was after a city (laughs) dinner from his extreme fondness for turtle... (laughs) (laughs) Woe to the unlucky junior who cited an inapplicable case and still greater woe to the prisoner who had the misfortune to appear before him in the criminal court. So they're saying doctors have an important responsibility because if you're in a position to be running things... A case of indigestion can fuck everything up for everybody.
1: Oh, you do not want to be writing laws on diarrhea. You do not want to be conquering people when you've got dysentery. You can't have it. And I also feel like Lord Tenterton is someone that Dickens would have made up as well.
2: Absolutely. We're talking about Charles Abbott, by the way, the barrister and chief justice, the stereotypical grumpy judge who would get really mad at lawyers and defendants.
1: You know he's got some big mutton chops and like just like a lot of jowl.
2: He has been played at least once by every improv troupe on the planet.
1: (laughs) They just don't know it.
2: In terms of Napoleon, at Borodino, it is said that he was sick with a bad cold, although most of his forces were suffering from typhus. At Dresden, he suffered from uncontrollable diarrhea and vomiting. And it is believed by historians that Napoleon was suffering from hemorrhoids on the morning of the Battle of Waterloo, which prevented him from riding his horse to survey the battle.
1: Look, I know there's a lot of historical importance there, and I know you'd maybe want to talk about that, but I just really have to go back to, when is diarrhea ever controllable? (laughs) Like, Like, when is anyone ever like, yeah, I got some diarrhea... It's under control. I, I can walk to the bathroom if I want to. I don't even have to go. That's how. That's how in control this diarrhea is. Yeah,
2: diarrhea is by definition uncontrollable. Otherwise, it's just uh, poop. It's uh, that's all it Pooh. is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know we could
1: be talking about Napoleon, but I want to talk about poo.
2: I mean, the role of the doctor must have been ninety percent diarrhea. It, like there must have been. <laughs> There must have been lords and ladies just feasting on turtle and, uh, you know, constantly uh, trying to fend off the specter of diarrhea. And he's probably making house calls all across the West End of London, just trying to control everyone's diarrhea all the time.
1: Uh, Just lay off the turtle. You guys clearly it has salmonella. Just lay off the turtle. Like you don't have to have any experience with germ theory to know when I eat this, I poop that like. If you eliminate turtle from your diet, as I have...
0: It's easier said than done, Henry. Easier said than done. You don't know the (laughs) soft texture of turtle on my lips.
2: (sighs) Okay, so we're skipping a bit. Um, (laughs) The pit they're skipping, incidentally, is this obituary being a little pissed that he took... Gossip to the grave with him. He had relationships with all of these people of high importance, and he wrote a memoir called Recollections. But this particular article is angry that he took secrets about these people with him to the grave. He didn't. He didn't spill the tea, as is the parlance today. Actually, yeah, yeah.
1: So, I mean, but I think that makes me feel like he was a man of integrity. I think, and a man of virtue. I. I've told you all of my deepest, darkest secrets. If on your deathbed you call all my friends over just to be like, and this one too, oh. um, we're going to have some issues. So I think it's really great.
2: What a way to go!
1: That would be awesome. Everybody <laughs> just should do it. <laughs>
2: everybody should do it everyone gathers around the deathbed for just an exorcism of secrets (laughs) and everything you've held in you just let go and then everyone has to look at each other and and then right as
1: you're about to expire like a crazy scientist or a doctor comes in and goes we have the cure and everyone's still there and you're in deep shit (laughs) oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) so good so good
2: all right Sir Henry Holland was born at Newtsford Cheshire in the 27th of October 1787 of a respectable family and received his principal education at a school at Bristol. But in his 18th year, we find him studying medicine in Edinburgh, where he graduated in the autumn of 1811, taking as the subject of his Latin thesis... The Diseases of Iceland, which he had already visited. Okay, so he's been to Iceland.
1: Yeah, he's already been.
2: They say at a young age, at the age of 11 or so, he would watch the ships coming in and out of Nutsford,
1: And he would be thinking, what diseases what? do these men carry? What are they bringing?
2: Where are they What's them? coming out of them? Yes. So he goes to Iceland. <laughs> this is an interesting story, actually. His dissertation focused on a disease known as cowpox.
1: Oh. Have you ever heard of
2: cowpox?
1: I have, but I I think it's been eliminated through the godforsaken, we shall never take it, freedom, 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 vaccine.
2: That's correct. Cowpox is similar to and much milder than smallpox. Cowpox was transferable from animal to human. It was first observed in milkmaids who got it from touching the udders of cows. These same milkmaids and dairy farmers who all had cowpox, were not getting smallpox. And this observation inspired the creation of the smallpox vaccine.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. So then if you've had cowpox, you're immune to smallpox. Is that what I'm hearing?
2: Cowpox was in effect the smallpox vaccine.
1: Interesting. That's
2: what made them think, oh, maybe if you're exposed to a mild version of this thing, you build an immunity and you can beat the disease.
1: So was that the beginning of the vaccine as the, as we know them to like vaccines?
2: Yes, that was. Yes, I'm beginning. sure it
1: was because vac, vaccine, V-A-C is Latin for cow. Like that's the, that's the derivation of that. Exactly. In French, you say vache, right? So that's totally it. Vaccinous yeah.
2: means of or from the cow.
1: Fascinating. So did our Henry boy? did he participate in finding this vaccine or was he just like, yeah, it exists. I'm going to go to Iceland again to just to make sure that it still exists. He's
2: not responsible for creating the vaccine. That uh, distinction belongs to Edward Jenner. But. You know, apart from just traveling and consulting uh, lords and ladies on their exploding diarrhea.
1: Oh, uncontrollable.
2: Henry Holland did try to research how to make a smallpox vaccine. Like he, that was part of his work. He was trying to figure that out.
1: Okay, well, good for him. That seems like a, a good use of time. So,
2: cowpox. I thought that was fascinating. I had no idea about that. That's so
1: cool. Of the three years
2: yet wanting of the age required for admission to the College of Physicians in London, he resolved to appropriate the first part to a scheme of travel, embracing the Mediterranean and the countries bordering on it. The result was given in his travels in Portugal, Sicily, the Ionian Islands, and Greece, published in 1815 in which year Mrs. Piazzi writes from Bath. Here's a quote from Mrs. Piazzi. I love this quote. We have had a fine Dr. Holland here. He has seen and written about the Ionian Islands and means now to practice as a physician, exchanging the sick ladies, say we wits and wags, for the sick ladies.
1: That's some really fun wordplay. Well done, Mrs. Piazzi. Yeah, we
2: made quite a lion of the man. I was invited to every house he visited at for the last three days. So I got the que de Lyon, despairing of le coeur.
1: Okay, Mrs. Piazzi and Henry are fucking. She called him fine earlier. Those two, those two vaccinated one another for sure.
2: I think- I think he was fucking everybody.
1: (laughs) I think he was fucking people in Madeira. I think he was fucking people in Norway. And then the list of other countries that you just read.
2: This is a paperback romance. This is an erotic text adventure video game. Yes. Travels through Europe, meeting socialites and fucking.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I bet he kept those husbands sick with diarrhea. He fed them more turtle so that he could fuck their wives.
2: <laughs> I can't go to bed tonight. I'm
1: too sick with turtle.
2: Oh, what a shame. Perhaps the doctor will keep me company.
1: Oh, doctor. Hello, nurse. <laughs> uh,
2: Mrs. Piazzi is one of the people in this chapter who I, I think I would rather read about. <laughs> Uh, She, uh, her name is Hester Lynch Thrall Piazzi, née Salisbury, a diarist, author, and patron of the arts. She was a very well-to-do daughter of Sir John Salisbury, the co-founder of Halifax, Nova
1: Scotia. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
2: She first married a wealthy brewer named Henry Thrall, with whom she had twelve children. Twelve? stayed with him until his death. Once he died, she fell in love and married her children's Italian music teacher, Gabriel Mario Piazzi. She was roundly criticized for marrying someone so low in wealth and class, but she gave no fucks about it.
1: Zero. Hester cared, not at all. Yeah, she sounds cool. Yeah, and she fucks. Like, she's like, you know what? I got this old guy, 12 kids. I did my part. This guy can tickle the ivories. He can tickle mine. I have all the money in the world. My dad made Halifax. I don't have to answer to anybody. You ever had a Salisbury steak? Yeah, you're welcome. And her wordplay is exquisite.
2: Oh, I want to read her diaries.
1: (laughs) Because she she is a diarist. She's an uncontrollable diarist. Uh,
2: (laughs) Wife to a (laughs) diarist. Forced to take the warm, embracing arms of her physician.
1: Oh, it's never not funny.
2: We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, things get hornier still for Dr. Holland as he takes on the role of personal physician to the Princess of Wales herself. That and more after this brief but necessary
0: break. No purchase necessary. Void. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: We're back. Hey, just a reminder, if you like the podcast, your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and elsewhere go a long way towards the success of this show. So if you feel so inclined, get online and share your thoughts. Um, unless you hate the show, then just keep it to yourself. If you want to support the work I do researching and recording this podcast, you can check out buymeacoffee.com famous.deeds. You don't have to sign up or anything. It's just a quick and hassle-free way to support creators all over the internet. Let's get back to Henry Holland with Ashley Botting. In the summer of 1814, he accepted the appointment of domestic medical attendant on Caroline, Princess of Wales, afterwards Queen, on an engagement to accompany her on her travels and stay with her during the first year of her intended residence, On the continent, he saw a great many curious things and came into contact with a great many remarkable people while he remained with her. But he tells us next to nothing of them.
1: He's a vault. He He is is a vault. vault. First, do no harm. And he means that physically and also to people's reputations. Mm -hmm.
2: Because here's the thing with Caroline. Do you know anything about her? No. Caroline, Princess of Wales. She was engaged to George IV, son of the Mad King, George III. They were engaged despite the two having never met. George, first of all, George IV sounds like a real asshole. George IV was so deeply in debt that he would only be able to continue receiving an allowance on the condition that he married an eligible princess, which Caroline was. Her father was ruler of the Principality of Brunswick-Wolfenbruten, which existed close to where (laughs) Hanover is today. There were two problems with this. First, when they finally did meet, they hated each other immediately. This will be familiar. Caroline complained that George looked nothing like his portrait.
1: You know those portraits of the Habsburgs, like the ones that were terribly inbred, and their like chins come out way farther than their noses do. Oh, yeah. They're just like so inbred. And I look at those and I'm like, and that was probably flattering. Yeah. Like that was probably the best they could do. (laughs) Scale
2: my chin back a little bit. Let's say 25%. Okay, this is this is honestly the best I can do. (laughs) So not only did they hate each other, but George had already illegally married another woman. Oh. Nevertheless, they were married. It was acrimonious, George drew up a new will, leaving everything to his fake wife, and one shilling to Caroline, petty, and he gave his mistress, Frances Villiers, the position of Caroline's lady-in-waiting, so it sounds almost actively cruel. He sounds like a real dick.
1: It's a real episode of, like, Downton Abbey happening here.
2: Henry Holland, incidentally, I mean, I don't know if it's really crystallized yet in your imagination, but when you watch Downton Abbey, the doctor is always at dinner? Yeah. That's Henry Holland. He dines out every night yeah. with a different lord and lady, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, because you need to have a doctor in your posse. You have to have a doctor like close by who's loyal to you. Yeah. Because you can't solve your own diarrhea. Like you need that doctor to show up and bring you whatever the Times version of emodium was, of right? Course. Like you need yeah, that guy. Of
2: course you You need that guy in your corner. That's why you would invite him to dinner. He's the bottle of Pepto <laughs> sitting at the end of the table. Yeah.
1: And you know that this poor woman, whose husband left her a shilling, who's in an acrimonious marriage that she does not want to be in, you know that she she likes this doctor. Why? Because he listens. And he keeps her secrets, and he talks of Norway, and she imagines herself being on a ship with him, on the deck of the ship, him holding her, telling her you know, all about pus from vaccines and like cowpox and stuff. And she's just fantasizing about it. So I think that they... I think that they get together.
2: Well, here's the deal. Caroline and George hated each other till the end of their lives. They lived in separate residences. She almost certainly took lovers, and he definitely did. We already know he had a mistress serving as her lady-in-waiting. He, he fucked whoever he wanted because he
1: was the prince. He also had another wife. He had two wives and a mistress. That's even better than, like, French presidents get.
2: Nevertheless, Caroline was the popular one, and George was deeply oh. hated.
1: She's the Lady Di, he's the Charles, here we go!
2: She left England altogether to live in exile on the continent, where she could presumably entertain whomever she wished, and Holland evidently joined her for the first year of that. Uh Uh-huh. So imagine just taking the job of saying like, uh, hey, um, I'm the next in line for the- for the queen, I'm the princess, would you like to just spend a year with me and my entourage in Europe? Yeah, I guess. Sure. This is Henry Holland's life. This is why he's in this book, because he just went around and took invitations and lived and coasted off of his charm and good looks. That's what he was famous for. Good looks and charm.
1: Did, is there any mention, because I'm either like, either he's married or he's like, and he's like fucking his way around the continent and Madeira, et cetera. Or potentially our lovely Henry Holland was um, a gay man. And this was a really great way for him to evade having to marry a woman. He could just like be on the continent, be in Europe with fabulous people and live um, a pretty blessed life that way.
2: It does make me wonder if there was also a position of gay friend for the princesses of the time. Of course you would want one.
1: That's what I'm wondering. Yeah.
2: He did marry. Uh, and so I'm being a little disingenuous, saying he fucked his way across Europe, but <laughs> maybe he did fuck his way across Europe before marrying, right? Eventually he married. I'm sure he was a loyal. Yeah, if
1: there's a point where you have to. Yeah, unless yeah. you're a priest, you have to. Yeah, he married.
2: Yeah. He had kids. It sounds like it was a very happy union.
1: Oh, that's nice. Yeah,
2: yeah. But before that happened, I have no doubt that it was a full
1: fuck fest. <laughs> <laughs> Knows what happened between those two, Caroline and Henry. I bet it was like really sweet.
2: Oh, I'm sure it was. God, what a gig. God, I'd love to just take a job of living on the continent, just advising somebody. Um, uh, I don't know, drink more water.
1: Lay off the turtle for a bit.
2: Easy on the spicy food. We're in Iberia. You gotta be careful with the chorizo.
1: Yeah, you gotta be careful. It doesn't do well with your your insides. That's
2: an easy gig. That's Caroline. So that's the other chapter that I would like to see. Caroline sounds like a pretty cool story. Yeah. Caroline and George, you know, like, let's read about that. But that's not going to be in here. (laughs) Besides professional calls to foreign parts he made a point of indulging himself annually in a two- or three-months ramble, choosing the long vacation for his holiday. And this goes far to explain why his patients did not call in another doctor or, as has been rather maliciously insinuated, take an unfair advantage of his absence to get well. (laughs) I don't get that joke. (laughs) Is it like doctors keep people sick? I guess so. Or they have the indecency to get better on their own.
1: (laughs) I also really love the use of the word ramble as like a physical act to like mm, see the world.
2: Time for a ramble. They belonged almost exclusively—oh, they're talking about his patients right now— they belonged almost exclusively to a class which emigrated about the same time, and a good many of them, we suspect, were rather ailing than ill, which probably means they weren't actually sick, they just thought they were. We knew a wealthy couple whom he visited regularly during the season, receiving daily from each a two guinea fee which he could not have refused without offending them. So they're basically saying, you're asking like, how does this dude have time to be a famous doctor and at the same time travel the world? It's because he went on vacation the exact same time the wealthy class of England went on vacation and he became their vacation doctor as well as their at-home <laughs> doctor.
1: It sounds like he's kind of on retainer.
2: Yeah, I guess so. It's like, hey, I'm going to be in uh, Madeira. Oh, I was like, oh, I can be there. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Bates, are you feeling like you can sort of understand why this guy is in this chapter? Like, what a genius. Uh, Yeah. Like, he manages to have a family and be like a nice family guy. Also, like, fucks his way across Europe. Also gets to go on vacation and be a doctor. And he's just like, well, I'm just here. Sure, I'll take your money. I just, I feel like he's a bit of like a Forrest Gump. Like, he's sort of like just in these situations when stuff is happening, but it sounds like it's kind of calculated. He knew exactly what he was doing.
2: Yeah, I I suppose his famous deed is just, unlocking life like he he just figured it out you know yeah charmed with good looks and personality takes on the role of physician which means you don't actually have to do any of the dirty work of surgery all you do is administer advice sure he studies but his practice that he built up was specifically to the very highest echelons of class And gets to travel out of it because he keeps going where they go. And if he loves travel, he keeps seeing the world. So, yeah. He's got it figured out. He figured it out. He figured out a great life.
1: And it's like the highest echelons get sick, but they don't get sick with what, you know, like the people in like, you know, the slums of London are getting sick with. Like, you know, they've got just a minor bit of consumption or they just need a few more vitamins. Like, it's pretty nice, you know? And then... He can he can put a little bit of like a percentage on top of the drugs he sells them. Oh yeah. I realize I'm I'm projecting some business acumen onto him.
2: But there's you know, there's no way he paid for a night's accommodation anywhere across Europe. Like he was the guest of all these lords and ladies, right? He had to have been.
1: And then they paid him. And then they paid him They paid him to be like, Is my pallor okay? And they and he'd look and be like yay or nay, and then he'd sell them shit. Yeah, and then he's gone in the night. And you and, and they and they can't even they can't even find him or talk to him about it. He's on to his next house, like a medical Santa Claus. He's a genius.
2: I'll bet this dude doesn't have a house. He's just like, which lord am I gonna say? Wait, wait with tonight?
1: no, Bates. Where does his wife live? Okay, all right. We know he has a wife. Where does she live in the house?
2: doctors are workaholics today. This guy is no different, right? Henry Holland was physician extraordinary and physician in ordinary to Queen Victoria. Physician in ordinary is the number one physician to the queen and extraordinary is one below.
1: So if I am Ashley Bodding extraordinaire and you're Paul Bates inordinaire, you're one above me. Doesn't
2: sound right, does it?
1: Yeah, I guess I have to start, you know, being the inordinaire. But then <laughs> and then I'm saying I'm inordinary and then it's like, what's wrong with her? Because <laughs> yeah. language changes. <laughs> uh, language does change. I'm trying to teach my dad that because he keeps saying the word puss to mean face. And I'm like, how does this end? How does this nightmare end?
2: <laughs> with that term coming back, that's how this ends.
1: <laughs> what a puss. Harvey Bodding brings it full circle. Yeah. He's like, I love this puss. I'm like, Dad, <laughs> I, I can, I, how, how many times can I say it? How many times?
2: How many chapters in Henry Holland's autobiography talk about. So Is about pusses. Mrs. Piazzi had a lovely puss.
1: Yeah, and then she asked him to check out the pallor of her puss. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the pallor of Mrs. Piazzi's puss. <laughs>
1: Dickens writes it. It's like 3,000 pages. Everybody wins. Paid by the word. Everybody wins. <laughs> Time and
2: tide wait for no man, and we can hardly believe that a congestion of the liver, a uh, diarrhea, or even a. <laughs> <laughs> Or even a fit of the gout (laughs) would be more accommodating than time or tide. That round of visits was most assuredly to the class of patients whom he had in view in the frank admission that the practice of a West End physician abounds in cases which give little occasion for thought or solitude and are best relieved by a frequent half hour of genial conversation. This is... I think what they're saying is...
1: That, that he fucks. Oh, yeah.
2: Just a half hour is all we need.
1: <laughs> this is, but this this really does, like, support everything we're saying. He's just like, two guineas for a chat. hmm It'll make you better. It'll make you better. I'm offering nothing
2: of physical value here. Well, physical value. I'm offering nothing of medical value, except I'm going to make you feel yeah. better just by being here at your sides. A diarrhea was my favorite. Oh, I've contracted a, a small <laughs> diarrhea.
1: <laughs> wait, you didn't add that? That's actually in there? Oh,
2: that's in there
1: <laughs> Can wait, read it again then Because uh-uh, I thought you were just an aside to make me laugh Time
2: and tide wait for no man And we can hardly believe that a congestion of the liver A diarrhea Or even a fit of the gout Would be more accommodating than time or tide So time and tide wait for no man But you know what really doesn't wait for anybody? A diarrhea
1: a diarrhea.
2: That, that's a universal truth.
1: I've got to start saying a diarrhea. I don't have diarrhea. I have a diarrhea. Yeah. So it's like an entity. It's like a, a thing inside me. It's yeah. not an idea that's unending, it's finite. <laughs> oh, it's been a busy week. I had two diarrheas. <laughs> <laughs> got seven diarrheas next week. Well, I put the, I have to put them in my diary, my diarrhea diary. <laughs>
2: That's where the word comes from. <laughs> you had so many, you had to log for them. Sure. And then it's just like, only once you actually started cross-referencing that with the number of times you had turtle a week, you are like, oh,
1: hold on a second. <laughs> but you didn't give up that turtle. Mm-mm. No, nobody can.
2: A little exaggerating Sir Henry's light equipment as a traveler, Sidney Smith used to say that he started for his two months' tours with a box of pills in one pocket and a clean shirt in the other, occasionally forgetting the shirt. <laughs> Certain it is, as all who have fallen in with him by sea or land will attest, that he might be seen in all climates, in the arctic regions or the tropics, on the prairies or the pyramids, in precisely the same attire, the black dress coat in which he hurried from house to house in Mayfair. Yet he never had a serious illness till his last, and without headache or heartache he attained the extraordinary age of 86.
1: 86 in those days. Yeah. Well done, Henry. Did they call him a, a shirtless drug addict? Was that part of that? Where it's <laughs> like he had a, a, th- a pills in one pocket and a clean shirt, but not always the shirt, but always the pills? Like, was that what that was?
2: They called him a shirtless drug dealer, basically.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. I also find it's funny that like he didn't have cruise wear or cabana wear, like always with the black coat, you know? It's
2: true, yeah. I guess
1: you can't really justify your fee- on, you know, in Madeira, et cetera, in a nice place. If you're wearing cabana wear, it just looks like you're on vacation. I bet the jacket was just there for the, so the rich folks were like, no, no, he's working.
2: (laughs) Gotta put on my uniform.
1: Yeah. He's going to sweat a lot.
2: You don't really hear of people, of anyone wearing shorts uh, back then, right? Were shorts a thing? (laughs) No, I don't
1: think so. (laughs) Unless your pants ripped.
2: He died on his birthday. Died on his 86th birthday. Oh. But if it be a blessing or sign of divine favor to die young, surely it is a still greater blessing to live a long, happy, useful, irreproachable life and sink calmly, full of years, into the grave, regretted and esteemed by all. Sink? Yeah, sink hit me too.
1: That's morbid. Yeah,
2: just gonna uh, just walk slowly into my grave. That's Henry Holland in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, I started off saying like, "What has this guy done? All he's done is spectated," and I really jumped the gun there, you know, because I think this man led a really full life. Yeah, I think he did a lot of things. I think he outwitted a lot of people. Mm-hmm. He rubbed shoulders with the, the, you know, the rich and famous and royals, mm-hmm. and. uh lived a long life and fucked, you know? What a life, it's
2: amazing. And I'm not just saying, oh, he's a good looking dude. Like he was like, when you read about him, he was known for his good looks and charm. So it's amazing what doors that will open for you, right? Yes. You're born into a respectable family you, you, you're like, okay, well, I'm almost done school. I'm going to travel for a while. He's 18 or something. Right. Yeah. And you know, your dad writes a few letters, right? Letters of recommendation. You show them to a few people and they're like, oh yeah, come on in. We'd love to have you around for a couple of weeks. Yeah.
1: He's, you're a white, able-bodied man, you know, that those are some lottery tickets right there.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: For the time anyway. Yeah.
2: For the time. And you just keep meeting people. And you just get more and more uh, welcomed into society, and you just keep traveling, and you just keep fucking, (laughs) and your clients just keep shitting. And you
1: sink into that grave even faster (laughs) because you are full of secrets. Yeah, that's right. Laden down with other people's naughty, naughty bits.
2: The secrets gained critical mass and just lowered him into the earth. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Took all those secrets to the grave. Oh, boy. (laughs) Henry Holland.
1: What a guy.
2: This episode was way hornier than I thought it was going to be.
1: I think that's on me because I just kept hearing about this man who would, like, go around Europe all the time and meet these women. And that one woman, Piazzi, was like a finer gentleman we have not seen or something. I'm like, all right. Uh Like, you know, we... We, we, we have the same hormones and viscera that we had then. Like, she was into the doctor, and I think we need to call it out, you know? And if I've learned anything from the HBO shows of this era, people be fucking. People be
2: fucking. A horny, horny <laughs> chapter offset by torrents of diarrhea. <laughs> You can find Ashley on Twitter and Instagram, at Ashley Botting. You can hear her on CBC's Because News. And she's currently directing The Second City's latest review. So if you're in Toronto, go check that out at Comedy Bar Danforth. That's our episode for this week. My thanks again to Ashley for joining me. If you like this show, give it a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the show on Twitter at Famous Deeds or on Instagram at famous.deeds. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BatesBot9000. We have merch. You can go to thesonarnetwork.com and find yourself your very own Dubious Book of Famous Deeds t-shirt. Our t-shirt features a beautiful portrait of Russian Emperor Alexander II. Has there ever been a better time to walk around wearing a shirt that features a Russian autocrat. Next episode is all about Walter Raleigh, namesake of Raleigh, North Carolina, which would lead you to believe he's actually been to North America, but nope, he never made it. Was he uninterested? Incompetent? A bit of both? Find out next week. Until then, I'm Paul Bates. Thanks for listening.